Imagine your child comes to you and they say, hey, I got a part in the school play. But they're really ticked and upset because they say it's a really small part. So you as a good parent try to encourage them and say, oh, I don't believe it's that bad. You know, you've got a small part, but uh, you're in the play. It's not that bad, not that small. Your child says to you, I'm number four fish in the Little Mermaid musical. And uh, there's a scene in which I come out with a bunch of other fish and we flop around to the music and then we go off the stage and that's it. That's my whole role. So you remember back to some of the things that you've learned in speech class or maybe theater class and you come up with this indispensable bit of wisdom. You say there are no small parts, only small actors. Sounds good, doesn't it? It's just not true. Number four fish in the musical The Little Mermaid is a puny part. Let's be honest. But what you should maybe say is there is no important role. Every role is vital. Yes, there are some small roles to play, some small tasks to fulfill, but every task is important. And you think of the analogy of the body with many parts, and the unseen ones are sometimes more important than the obvious ones. The poets write about the eyes when they write of romance and love. They don't write about the liver. <laughs> or some internal organ that, uh, other than the heart, which uh, is vital and important. And I think sometimes when we think of the church of Jesus Christ, we think the same way. If I have a role to play, it's a pretty puny one. I'm number four fish, and that's not very important. No, it's important. It's vital. Because your role comes from your king. And I'm referring to Jesus Christ. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, as we continue our study through this fascinating book. Ephesians, chapter 4. You may not, may not have the lead role, but you have a vital role in the church of Jesus Christ. Paul is writing to the church after three chapters of telling them who they are. He now is beginning three chapters of how they need to let that flow out of their lives. From instruction and explanation to exhortation. And he starts out with, live a life that is worthy of your calling in Christ. He talks about the fact that we have a common faith, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. And then notice verse 6. He says that there is one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What an amazing, majestic statement that really when you think about it, it's too hard for us, us to comprehend how God is everywhere present and the king of the universe. But look at verse 10. It says that Jesus fills the universe. I love that statement. And again, I am dumbfounded when I began to contemplate how Jesus Christ, the God-man, fills the universe. The story goes like this. Verse 7, each one of us has been given a spiritual gift from Christ. 
as he has measured it, as he has apportioned, as he has decided, maybe not a lead role, but a vital role. And why does Christ have the right to give gifts? Well, he is the one, verse eight, who ascended on high. And when he ascended on high back to heaven as the victorious conqueror, he was seated at the right hand of God and now has authority to give out gifts. Paul goes on to say, when it says he ascended, verse eight, and gave gifts to men, what does it mean except that he first descended to the lower regions of the earth? So the descent of Christ is from heaven to earth. That's what we call Christmas. That's what we call the incarnation. Then he accomplishes his goal, lives a perfect life for 33 years, dies a vicarious substitutionary death on the cross, kills death to death, and is raised from the dead and seated at the right hand, and now there's the exaltation. So you have the descent, the incarnation, the ascent, the ascension of Christ, and then the enthronement at the right hand of God. And Jesus is sovereign of the universe. In fact, it says in verse 10, he ascended higher than all the heavens for this purpose, to fill the universe. Now, if the Father fills the universe and the Son fills the universe, and these are two positions that cannot be comprehended, they're so limitless, does it not once again show that Jesus is God incarnate. It shows the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ as well as the right and authority for Christ to give gifts. So that's exactly what he does. This phrase, Jesus fills the universe, is awesome. I want you to think with me, and I've got some verses on the on the screen to help you think through this concept. First of all, Colossians chapter one and verse 19 says that God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Jesus. Again, the divinity of Christ. He is the God man. All the fullness of the Godhead lives in Christ in bodily form. Chapter two of Colossians verse nine repeats the same truth. For in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead lives in a human body. Awesome statement. And when Christ was transfigured, as we read about in Matthew chapter 17, it's when the divinity of Christ was allowed to be shown through the humanity of Christ, and his countenance was glowing like the sun, and his white, his raiment as white as could be. And the glory of Christ was shining through. You see, most of the time in humanity, he had it veiled. He looked pretty normal. He looked like a normal Mediterranean Jew with olive-colored skin and had the same features as the rest of his society. But when deity began to shine through, it was an amazing sight. But look at the next verse, verse 10. And you have been given his fullness. So the fullness of God is in Christ, and the fullness of Christ has been given to believers. He is the Lord and ruler of everything, and he has the authority to do this. So as believers, God has deposited within us the fullness of God through Christ. Christ is in us. Fullness of God is in us. Ephesians chapter 3, this is exactly what Paul is praying for. 
I mean, if you just review, Jesus is indeed filling the universe, and he fills us. Ephesians 3.19, Paul prays that we might be filled to the full measure, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So although Christ fills us, we still must pray that that fullness might be manifest, that it will be evident. And then he says this in chapter 4, verse 13 that we might attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, that we might become mature. And to achieve that, we have to work at it. So this is the idea. God deposits his fullness in us. Uh, his fullness in us. We have to pray for it to be worked out of us, and we have to diligently work so that that will be manifest, so the fullness of God will indeed be expressed in our lives. God deposits in, and we work it out. Have you ever heard that phrase? Philippians chapter 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? God has worked it in. You have to work it out. It doesn't mean that you work to gain salvation. When you trust God by faith, you are given salvation. It's deposited within you. Now it's your responsibility to work it out. Think of natural resources. God has deposited within the earth amazing minerals that mankind has to mine so that they can be used, right? God deposits, we work it out. Or think about the fact that God gives life in embryonic form. And that baby is given birth, but then the baby must grow and we must work it out in physical growth. Maturity has a physical aspect to it, it has an intellectual aspect to it, and it has an emotional aspect to it, and we need to grow in maturity. I think there's a lot of believers who are born again, and they've grown some a little bit in Christ, but they're emotionally immature, and maybe even intellectually. The knowledge that they, they possess is, it's small. The writer of Hebrews says this, by this time you ought to be teachers, but you still need someone to teach you the very elementary principles of God. By this time you should be eating solid meat, but someone has to spoon feed you with milk because you haven't grown. And the problem with the church today is that we need to grow up. We need to grow up. I don't like it when someone tells me that, but they're usually right. You need to grow up. Well, that's, Paul, that's exactly what Paul is going to say in Ephesians chapter 4. It's time for us to grow up. We must develop in our life what God has deposited in our soul. And what is that? The fullness of Christ. So here's the road to maturity, according to the Apostle Paul. Step number one is this idea of preparation and activation, it's the initial step on the road to maturity. And we'll begin with verse 11. We read in verse seven that Jesus gave everyone a spiritual gift, and in verse 11, he's the one who gives some to be apostles and some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare, purpose statement, in order to prepare God's people for works of service. 
Now, we stated this last week that the apostles and prophets are foundational to the church. Paul even mentions that in chapter 2. The apostles of the New Testament, the prophets of the Old Testament in particular, they were given so that we might have the word of God. God spoke to them. They spoke to the people. They recorded the sermons or others recorded them. And they're inscripturated in what we call our Bible, Old and New Testament, the teaching of the prophets and the apostles. God is not rebuilding the foundation. And I think it's somewhat misleading when we call people apostles and prophets today unless it's in a secondary sense. They're not on the same level as the prophet Jeremiah or the apostle Paul. But what we do have today are evangelists and teachers building on that foundation of taking the gospel, the evangelists, the missionaries, and those who are helping those who come to Christ in little enclaves of fellowship called local churches to grow in Christ. We mentioned last week also that the gifts, the spiritual gifts, could be divided into three categories. You have the speaking gifts, the serving gifts, and the sign gifts. Sign gifts, I think, are those unusual gifts primarily given between the transitory period of Old Covenant, New Covenant to demonstrate that this message was authentic and from God. And so you've got these unusual signs and wonders that were the works of the apostles, the scripture says. And the speaking gifts and the serving gifts are here today now for the body to grow and for the body to advance. That's what you have in verse 11, speaking gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. No one is to be proud of their gift because the gift is not used for self-promotion. Uh, the gift you have is to be used for body health, to grow the body, not to inflate your ego. That's why it's not important what role you play as long as you play your role. It's important you find out what role God has given you to play, and he's given you a special ability it may be a natural ability turned into a spiritual sensitivity and gift, and you need to use that gift so the body can grow up. So preparation and activity, this is the initial step. By the way, the word prepare in verse 11, to prepare God's people is a word we often uh, translate equip. It's a medical term, and it means to heal a broken bone. It means to restore someone who is ill. And that's part of the preparation you and I need. If we're going to grow on the road to maturity, we need to be restored. I'm not going to ask you this question, but if I were to say, how many of you are broken people, I would hope all of you would raise your hands. Now, some of you may say, I'm not broken. I don't need a Savior. Well, Jesus didn't come to save you. He came to save the sick and the lost. You don't think you are, you're never going to turn to him for help. I understand that. Your pride is keeping you away from God. There is no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I can understand your position, and until God breaks down that soul, until you repent of your arrogance, there's really no hope for you. Your pride will keep you out of the kingdom of God. But once you become a believer, and especially if you grow in a little knowledge and you've been around a little while and you're given some opportunities for leadership, you begin to think, hey, I'm pretty good. And leaders want to project the idea that they've got it all together. 
but we are all broken people. Did you know that the church is maybe best pictured as a hospital? And we come here to get healed. It's pictured as a school, but not a school exclusively. There is instruction, but it's a hospital where you can get back on your feet again. Sometimes this word, translated prepare, comes out of the fishing industry, and it had the concept of cleaning your nets, restoring the broken places so you could fish again tomorrow. And that's what we do here at South. We heal the broken nets, our own as well. Repair that which is deficient so that we can fish again tomorrow. You see, this ought to be a hospital, not just a school. And when you understand you're broken, you have a sense of humility that drives you to the Savior and drives you to the community because we need one another. And that's what Paul is talking about here in chapter four. Now, how is this gonna happen? Well, verse 11 says, the teaching of the word through these people who are called to teach it. That prepares people for works of service. If you look back at chapter two in Ephesians, you were saved by grace through faith so that you might do works for God. You're not saved by works, but you're called to do good works. So activate your gift. Find out what it is. Equip yourself in the area of your giftedness and activate the gift. That's why we have equipping going on every Sunday night for the first three months of every new year. We want to again focus on the need to prepare God's people for works of service because it's not just those who are called to speak who do the work of the ministry. Now, the immediate result is this, verse 12 edification because when God's people are prepared for works of service and they do them the body of Christ is built up now here's a construction term you've got a foundation and now the superstructure is being built on it in fact the Greek word has the same idea of building a home To to, to edify someone is to build them up And you want to build them up in their faith. You want to build them up toward the ultimate goal, which we'll mention in just a minute. By restoring the broken limbs, piecing together the broken nets, and encouraging you to develop your spiritual gift to be used for the glory of God. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 29. It's this whole idea of let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but only that which is good to the use of edifying so that you might build up the person you're speaking to have you ever wished you had a filter over your mouth probably everyone around you does (laughs) but have you have you ever wished that you had uh, one of those buttons you could press like on radio and, you know, 12 second delay before the actual broadcast goes out? The producer pushes it because something was said that wasn't supposed to be said. Often I felt that way. David did. Psalm 141, verse 3, said, A watch, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Don't let anything come out that would dishonor you. How about this? Don't let anything come out that will put 
my friend down. How many of our words are designed to put people down? (laughs) When we're told in verse 29, speak to build people up. That's why we have these spiritual gifts. That's why we live in community, to encourage one another. And we come sometimes very discouraged to church, and we need to be encouraged. We need to be excited, hopefully inspired. In fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 10, don't forsake gathering together with other believers, because when you gather together, you can stir them up to love and good work. That's why we have community. Now, what's the ultimate goal, the ultimate objective? Verse 13, maturation. So the preparation has its immediate result and activation of our spiritual gifts has its immediate result in growth. And growth is not finished until we reach that ultimate object. And that is to be like Christ. Until we all reach unity in the faith, By the way, that's a sense of horizontal community faith where we are core together as one. And the knowledge of the Son of God, that's an intellectual aspect, that's growing in our understanding. We are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. We need them both. Not just knowledge, but grace. By the way, we talk about maturity This is where a lot of Christians seem to really be weak. I know a lot of Christians who are really knowledgeable about the faith, but they lack grace. You ever run into these people? Intellectually sound. They can argue about the Bible doctrines, but they don't know how to live lovingly with other people. They aren't emotionally mature. And you see it in their life by the way they react. And it's usually selfishness that comes out. Because in the difficult times, what's in you comes outside of you. It was Hudson Taylor who was speaking to a group of missionaries, and he had a glass on the table that was filled up to the brim with water. At one point in his message, he was making a strong point, and he slammed the table, and the water came spilling out of the glass. And then he made this analogy, when times get hard, only what's in you will come out of you. The difficulties don't often, the difficulties don't always make us, but they always reveal us. What's in you comes out of you. And so the goal is that we would be unified in the faith. It's not an educational process alone, it's a transformational process. Are you changing and growing? Growing until you express the fullness of Christ that is in you. And by the way, God is committed to this process of transforming you. No one likes change for the most part. We don't like change. We like things to stay the same because growth means change and change means there's something that I need to improve on. I need to acknowledge I'm deficient to some degree. I think it was Mark Twain who said the only person that likes change is a wet baby. (laughs) I tell you, people in the church don't like the change. Try to change something in a church. Whoa. I've got some scars to prove it. But then again, maybe I was changing for the wrong reason. 
Maybe it was more about me than the good of the church. Thankfully, no one said amen. <laughs> the whole maturity process is what we're going after. I want to be like Christ. And God is committed to this. Look at this verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. God has predestined to make you like Jesus. That's pretty strong language. I like what Paul Van Gorder used to say, God is so pleased with his son that he's determined to populate heaven with people just like him. If you come to faith in Jesus Christ, then God has predestined he's going to make you like his son. Now when you die, you'll be glorified, and when you see him, you'll be like him, for you'll see him as he is. But between your birth in Christ and your death going to Christ, there's this thing called sanctification, and this is where God is determined to make you just like his son. By the way, God's more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. So he may have some type of schedule and agenda for you that isn't always pleasant, but in the end works about the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Difficulties and trials. I wouldn't have chose these for myself. I don't like it. And God says, yeah, I know, but remember in Romans I told you that I am determined to make you like my son. Do you remember that? Yeah. Are you in? I've deposited in you my fullness that came from the Father. Do you want to let that fullness come out? We're usually silent. And Jesus says, well, that's what I've determined to do, so this is part of the process. Imagine that. Jesus is determined to make me just like, or Father is determined to make me just like Jesus. Now, there's a problem in this growth process because you and I are prone to wander, right? We have a proclivity to slide, to go in the wrong direction. Look at verse 14, and now I'm reading some from the New Living Translation. When we are mature in Christ, attaining to the whole measure, the fullness of Christ, verse 13, then we will no longer be immature like infants like little children. You see, you've got, you've got one or the other. Immaturity or growth and development into the fullness of Christ, which is maturity. An infant is tossed by the waves and blown by the wind of every new teaching that comes down the pike. That's why you've got to be grounded in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Because winds are going to blow, and winds are blowing in the evangelical church. And boy, if you're, if you're not on top of it, you'll just be taken with the wind and tossed by the waves. There is this cunning craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming, the NIV says. Well, that's a pretty strong statement. People with the intent on deceiving you. When you get a call, on your cell phone and someone says we would like you to donate to our cause do you if I don't know the person I absolutely do not but but I'm with such and such an organization and we're doing a lot of good around the world and I'm sorry I won't do it because there are too many deceitful people out there I'm not one of them <laughs> yeah sure said the wolf. 
So we need to be aware of this and we need to be aware of danger number one being taken away from the core truths of the gospel. But danger number two is this. In the realm of living a Christian life, there's a lot of deceitful teachers who are telling you wrong things and you've got to come back to the scripture to make sure that truth is truth. That's where the speaking gifts are supposed to help. If we're grounded in the faith, if we're growing in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God into a mature, Christ-like individual, then we'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. But look at verse 15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Underline that. Speak the truth in love. I think that's a reference to verse 11. Hey, you guys, you gals with speaking gifts, make sure you speak the truth in love because it's possible to speak the truth in hatred. It's possible to speak the truth to harm and hurt people. It's possible to speak the truth in a harsh tone. I I don't get it, but sometimes... Preachers just love to make people feel miserable. And they preach in such a way that everything is down and negative and the fruit of the Spirit starts out love, joy, and peace. We are to speak the truth in love. The bald truth becomes a brutal thing if unwrapped with heavenly love. Let me give you the truth. I like to bottom line it. Nah, you're just kind of a selfish person who likes to make everyone else feel miserable and see how intelligent you are. Right? Give me the truth in love. Now, sometimes in love means you speak some harsh truth, some difficult truth, I'll say, but you do it in love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend who loves you. I think too many preachers speak the truth but forget the love part. We're to speak the truth in love and when we do that, we will grow in every way more like Christ who is the head of the body because after all, that's the goal. So you and I are prone to wander, Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God we love. William Wordsworth put it this way in a poem, day and night toils redouble Never nearer to my goal, night and day I feel the trouble of the wanderer in my soul. We are broken people with a proclivity to slide. And when the winds are blowing in the wrong way, we'll be taken down the current in the wrong direction if we aren't grounded in the truth and speaking the truth in love to one another. And then there's a beautiful picture, verse 16. When that happens... He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as everyone plays their role. By the way, if you do not play your role, if you're deficient in playing your role in this body, our church will not thrive because we need everyone. And Jesus has given you the right role to play. Find it, grow it, Get equipped, get active, bless others, and have them bless you, and this fellowship can grow. It's not just on truth, it grows in love. And those need to dominate our meeting together. Then when every person does their part, plays their special role, 
The whole body is healthy and grows full of love. Verse 16. Now that is a pretty picture for the church of Jesus Christ. Get this. Jesus Christ fills the universe. Does he fill you? Is there a sense of spiritual maturity? It's time for you to grow up. I've got some areas to grow up in. I know of some of them. I don't know of others. But I know in this area, I need to grow up. It's my driving. (laughs) I get so agitated when I drive. These other people hindering me from getting (laughs) where I want to go. So yesterday, I'm driving on M59 to Waterford, my mom's 96th birthday. And she's doing well. I was going to have a picture up here, and I forgot to get it. Sorry about that. But she's looking great, doing well. But two-lane road, M59 in many places. And some people have the audacity to drive the speed limit or a little slower. (laughs) Everybody knows that any odometer in a car has set at least five minutes slower than it should be, or five miles an hour slower than it should be. Everyone knows that. And everyone also knows that the police know that, and so they make allowance for you to go at least five miles over. That's probably not true, but that's the way I see it. (laughs) So I'm driving down this two-lane road, and this guy gets in my way, and, you know, I'm, "Ah," and do I have to be there at a certain time? No, but it's a game, and I got to keep moving. And so I pass him. Coming back, I almost hit a car. Um, It wasn't my fault. There was a guy stopping in front of me, and I went to go around him. I was a little off the road, not that much. And there was a car coming out of a road this way, and he started coming toward me as I'm going around. And he honks. And believe it or not, I did one of these things. I went, what's wrong with you? I did. And he went like this. I was so thankful he turned the other way. And so I'm driving past that, and Nancy's a deer. She doesn't say anything, but the Lord says something like, that was really mature. (laughs) What are you preaching on tomorrow? (laughs) And in an instant, I can go from what might be maturity to immaturity. I don't know if you're like that, but I am. And God says, you know, I've placed my son in you and I want you to become like him. And today, that moment, wow, you've got a long way to go. And if you act like this in any body, in your family, in the church, at work, wherever you may be, no wonder you're causing so many problems. Why don't you just grow up into Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've made it so plain. You've blessed us so richly. Christ is in us the hope of glory, and with Christ we get the fullness of God. And you've told us to pray so that that fullness would be developed and expressed. You've told us to share our gifts in the body so we can help one another grow so that together we will be joined in a tight fashion. And as each person plays their part, The church will grow in love and in truth and the witness of Christ will go forth. 
So Lord, help us to grow up and to become more like your son, in whose name we pray, amen.